Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm Jill Economo, your host and director of community outreach. Helen Keller once said, The best and most beautiful things in this world cannot be seen or heard. They must be felt with the heart. When I hear that quote, it makes me think of my relationships, whether that's with my family, my friends, my coworkers, my God, right? Relationships stir the heart. You may have heard the quote, you can choose your friends, but you sure can't choose your family. <laughs> That's from Harper Lee, the author of To Kill a Mockingbird. She also went on to say that there are, there's still your family, whether you choose to acknowledge that or not. So I guess the bottom line is here, no matter how weird or annoying your family can be, and we know that that can happen, be happy you have a family. The family unit is so important. Statistics show that children who experience a family breakdown of some kind, whether through divorce, death, abuse, separation, they may have negative long-term effects like lower academic success, psychological adjustments, emotional and behavioral difficulties, relationship challenges, and financial challenges. So it seems obvious then that maintaining the family unit, if at all possible, is a crucial part of the success of the next generation. We should do whatever we can to encourage that stability of the family unit, whatever that looks like. Current statistics show that about 7,800 children are in foster care in Wisconsin, and approximately half come from southeastern Wisconsin counties. The number of children in foster care in Wisconsin has actually risen 27% since 2012. 1,800 of these kids are teens, and 65% are sibling groups. And in Milwaukee County alone... Approximately 100 new children enter the foster care system each month. Many times those children are placed in foster homes outside of their counties because there's just not enough local foster parents. In 2018, nearly half of children age 12 and older were placed in congregant care, which means group homes or residential care centers that are facilities and not actual home environments. Today we're going to learn about some organizations that are actually helping to increase awareness and interest in foster care and adoption in an effort to decrease these numbers and encourage and nurture healthy, stable families. My first guest today is Teresa Cocker, Chief Program Officer at the Norris Center. The mission of Norris is to strengthen youth and families by providing a circle of care, a continuum of education, support, and treatment. So welcome to the show today, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. The statistics stated show a real need for advocacy in, in this area of foster care and adoption. So what was it about this area, this, this need that moved you to action? Well, that is a great question, and it, um, I, in looking at my background and in studying social work, I'm a social worker by trade, um, have been in the field for 18 years, and wasn't exactly sure which area of social work I wanted to work in until my graduate school internship, which was in foster care, okay. and really fell in love with the work and the passion that I see with um, children, the foster parents and with birth families and really loving the idea of the impact that can be made and hope for change and 
when children are placed in foster care, the goal most of the time is for them to reunify or be placed back with their birth families. So we have a small window when they are placed in foster care to work with them, to give them the tools that they need to help them deal with their uh, complex trauma that they might have experienced, and then also to support our foster families and to support the birth families. Okay, so so you're you're able to fulfill this passion of working with foster care in your role within the Norris uh, the Norris Center, but tell us more about the Norris Center. Like, what do they do, and what types of services do they provide? Norris is a nonprofit social service organization. We have been serving children and families for over 100 years. Um, we 100 years. 100 wow. years. Okay. Founded by Neil a Norris. In the rough, right? <laughs> yes. And our administrative offices and campus right now is in McGuanago on 900 acres of land. And the primary program that Norris has offered has been residential treatment for male youth between the ages of 8 and 17. So that is for boys that um, have, again, experienced complex trauma in their home environments and are dealing with significant needs, whether that is mental health, it could be alcohol and drugs, it could be they are involved in the delinquency system, and they are not able to be safe in a home environment, so they need a little more supervision, a little more um, uh, round-the-clock care. So they actually live there? Yep. So okay. we have boys that live on campus, and they. Um, the nice thing about our campus and being as large as it is is it gives the boys an opportunity to experience adventure education. They can go fishing. They can um, take long walks if that helps them to kind of regulate themselves if they're if they're feeling out of whack. Um, and so residential treatment has been our primary program until 2017. And in 2017, Norris decided to expand programming to include therapeutic foster care. Okay. Well, tell us then, <laughs> what is therapeutic foster care? So I can take a step back first and explain a little bit about the foster care system because I think that would be most helpful. Um, when children are determined to be unsafe in their family's home, um, counties are usually the ones to make that decision, and they assess the level of needs for children to determine what type of home environment would be best for them. Counties in, our in the state of Wisconsin generally license basic or general foster homes. And those are foster homes for kids that are generally developmentally on track, not a lot of behavioral concerns. And those foster parents don't necessarily have to have parenting experience. They get some training, some support, and then they accept placement of those children. Therapeutic foster care is kind of that next level up along that continuum. So that is for children who have experienced more complex trauma, uh, children who might present with more significant behavioral, emotional, or mental health needs. And then when we are out in the community recruiting for foster parents in our therapeutic program, we are looking for people who have experience either parenting themselves or working in a helping field. We offer additional training and additional support to our foster families to help them stabilize the children when they're placed in their home. Okay, and you head up this therapeutic foster care. I do. I was hired to start the program, and that is what um, 
excited me about joining the Norris team is being able to kind of look back on my years of experience uh, in foster care and in a variety of roles and to be able to build a program from the ground up, which has been really, really exciting for me. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And matches your talents, right? Um, So then what makes the foster care program at Norris different from other foster care programs that are out there? So that is where I can share the name of our program, which is Beyond Fostering. And um, I truly believe that there is a a strong impact that can be made when foster parents and birth parents work well together and to support the common goal of children. So what our program does is we offer a lot of training, a lot of support and mentoring for our foster parents so that they can not only foster a child, but really foster, coach, and mentor birth families. So really going beyond the traditional sense of foster care. And and that speaks to the whole stability of the family unit. Absolutely. Right, that we were talking about Absolutely. Uh, at the opening of the show. Um, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have, have heard really sad stories of uh, abuse that has gone on uh, between um, kids in foster care. Uh, I was at an event yesterday where uh, the speaker was talking about her experience in foster care in the early 80s. And through no fault of their own, they were placed, there were four siblings placed together. And uh, she was uh, the youngest female, and she had experienced some um, physical abuse, which was very sad. But research has actually shown that there are certain characteristics that successful foster parents tend to have. So stay tuned to uh, hear more about that in our next segment. We'll be right back after a short break. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG. Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Teresa Cocker, Chief Program Officer at the Norris Center. So, Teresa, research has been done supporting the fact that there are certain characteristics that successful foster parents have. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's start with the Why? You know, because we know that a person's personal why supports their passion. So why do people choose to become foster parents? Most of the time when we talk with current foster parents or former foster parents or I get calls from people wanting to be a foster parent, they talk about having a calling. They talk about wanting to make an impact. And um, that is, that's across the board. And when you look at characteristics of successful foster parents, what the research has shown and what I have seen in my experience is that successful foster parents tend to either have a strong faith and or they work in a helping field. Okay. Interesting. So you had shared with me at one point that that there are about 1.5 million Americans across the United States that have considered adoption. And if one in 500 adopted, every waiting child in foster care would have a forever family. I mean, that, that seems... Of course, we don't want to simplify it. We understand Mm -hmm. that the goal, as we said, was to create a stable environment for these children. But if you are uh, going that extra step to try and advocate for successful foster parents and understanding how that's defined, you know, you're saying research has supported the fact that there are certain things. So you can look for that type of environment. 
where you can place your kids. Um, so let's say that there is someone out there listening who decides to become a foster parent. What's, what's the process? So when someone is interested in becoming a foster parent, um, usually I receive a phone call or an email and we schedule a time to meet where I can share information about the program, where they can ask their questions. And again, it's about relationships, right? So starting to build that relationship with Norris and with me. And once someone applies to become a foster parent, then there is the the entire application process that is really driven by state regulations. So we run background checks, we conduct references, I go out to the family home and tour the home, make sure that the physical requirements are there. And then there's a home study process similar to an adoption home study where I spend a lot of time getting to know each uh, foster parent, if there's one or two in the home, and everyone else who's living in the home to understand how they came to be and what their philosophy is on parenting and why they are interested in becoming foster parents. We write the home study and then have conversations with foster parents about what would be a good fit for their home? Because I think a lot of uh, times people might consider becoming a foster parent, but they get very overwhelmed or they hear about, you know, a certain characteristic of a child that they wouldn't be comfortable with. But the nice thing about the licensing process is we help figure that out. We talk about what would be a good fit for you and your family. What age, what gender, what characteristics of kids are you comfortable with? What characteristics would you be interested in learning more about? Because we want kids to be stable and be successful when they are in a foster home. So when you find a discrepancy or, or um, a, a lack in a certain area, then and, and they look to be good candidates, then you can provide that additional education. Because if, if you have someone that's interested and their heart is really there, mm -hmm. then you obviously want to nurture that and say, okay, maybe they need a little bit of help in this area. And so then you would provide them with that education, or do you work with other organizations in the community to provide, uh, maybe if there's a gap there? Absolutely. So Norris provides training, and then um, the state of Wisconsin offers uh, foster parent training as well. Um, so we would um, look to the state. We would look to um, other resources that might be available from um, a library or watching a movie and talking about that. Any way that we can um, gather additional information and help support our foster families to make the best decision that they can for them and their family. Okay. So, so how long is the process? So let's say a family reaches out to you and says, raises their hand, says, we're interested, mm -hmm. makes the call to you. Um, what's the time frame? Generally 60 to 90 days. Oh, that fast. From okay. the time okay. that the application um, is submitted. And um, really where that uh, the timeline goes is it depends on scheduling and background checks and references and how quickly those come back. Um, but that is our goal is 60 to 90 days. And then um, obviously there's some training that goes on during that time as well. Okay. So we had mentioned in the beginning of the show the statistics that say some some kids are sent outside of their county because there aren't enough families within their county yes. to provide a, a home. Unfortunately, that is the case. 
Um, when you look at the number of children in foster care in Wisconsin, almost half of those children come from southeastern Wisconsin counties, and that's where we focus our recruitment because that's where the biggest need is. But what counties will say to me and organizations like Norris is we need local resources because we are placing children outside of their county and you can imagine how traumatic it is for a child to be placed in foster care right. and then yeah. compound that with having to change a school, being away from your friends, changing your doctor. So there is that huge need right here in southeastern Wisconsin for more foster families. And so you ideally you don't want to place a child, let's say you don't have a, a home for a child to go to within the county, so you take them, place them in a home outside the county. As you said, they're going through so much as it is. You know, you want to try and bring them back into the county, ideally, um, You don't, but you don't want to keep moving them around. So uh, would you say that your greatest need then would be local foster families, or do you have a, another need that would trump that? Well, I would say that um, the the greatest need is Milwaukee County, Waukesha County. Um, I receive about 50 referrals each month for oh, children okay. needing therapeutic foster homes. Okay. And um, the majority of those come from, again, kind of the southeastern Wisconsin counties. And um, almost half of those referrals are teenagers. So a lot of times we are struggling to find homes for teenagers, and instead they are placed in group care settings, mm-hmm. so they're not able to build a relationship with a, a parent, and um, and that's really sad when we aren't able to meet that need. And that's those are crucial years. I mean, they all are, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But um, uh, and what's the age that they? Uh, what at what point do they age out of the system? So in the state of Wisconsin, um, children can be in care up until the age of 21 um, if certain criteria are met. Um, I receive a handful of referrals each year for the 19, 20-year-olds, and a lot of times those are um, young adults that are struggling with developmental delays. Um, and then from a referral standpoint, we we serve children between the ages of 0 and 21. So we're getting referrals of children, infants who are medically complex, and we are getting a lot of referrals for sibling groups. And okay. uh, we do our best to try and keep siblings together yeah. when we get those referrals. And that was a situation at the uh, uh, C-Suite for Christ event that I was at yesterday where the young woman that was speaking uh, she was one of four. And she said back in the early 80s, it was really difficult to find a home that would take four children on. And so I would imagine the uh, the challenges are, are um, consistent, although we know things are getting better. But so a lot of things that you, uh, you talked about that are ways that um, uh, or areas where you have a need, if someone's out there and they want to help out in some way, either through offering um, their home to a child. What are some other areas of need that you have? So besides um, becoming a foster parent, we also look for people to make donations for kids. Um, We look at um, people to volunteer their time. Um, And and taking a step back and talking about uh, becoming a foster parent, 
Um, people can also become licensed as foster parents and only provide respite, so they don't necessarily have to commit to a longer-term placement oh. of a child, but okay. they can also... You know, make that decision that, you know, as a family, it's best for us to just help out on the weekends or during the summer, and we can work with families. Okay, that's Um, nice to know. I didn't realize that. And a lot of times, um, foster parents or people thinking about foster care say that they could never do it because they don't want to get attached. Mm -hmm. And I would like to take an opportunity to share a quote from a foster parent that I have worked with that addresses that, um, that comment. So the foster parent has said, I've had people comment to me before about how they don't foster because they would get too attached. But my perspective is that if someone is fostering, I hope they get attached. That's Mm. what these kids need. We are the adults and better able to handle the loss when it happens. Get attached. Bond. Love as much as you can. Kids need everything we can give them. Fostering will change you, but it will be worth it. Mm, very well said. Very, very nice. Well, lots of lots of things to discuss, but not enough time, as always. So, um, Teresa, if you could give us some contact information, if there's somebody that just wants information, uh, if somebody wants to actually start that process, uh, can you give us some contact information, phone numbers, websites, that type of thing? Sure. Anyone interested in learning more about Norris and or becoming a foster parent can visit norriscenter.org. They can also call 262-222-2000. They could email at tfc at norriscenter.org, or they can like our Facebook page. Okay, wonderful. Or they can just Google Norris, right? They can Google Norris. Yeah. There's ways Norris. to get to you, right? Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, we all know that there's not one agency or nonprofit that has the total answer. You know, they need to work with others who can fill any gaps there might be so that They have a comprehensive offering to the people they serve. So stay tuned to learn about a local organization that partners with the Norris Center in advocacy efforts and support so that they can round out the services available. We'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. The adoption process has changed considerably over the years. You know, it was not uncommon after the turn of the century, for example, for children to live their whole childhood in orphanages. Siblings were rarely, if ever, adopted together, and adoption of newborn babies or infants was extremely rare. If there was an adoption, it was often handled informally, without involvement of agencies or the courts, and it was almost always closed, where the adoptive and the birth parents had no contact whatsoever. And international adoptions? Well, those were almost never heard of. Thankfully, things have changed for the better over the years. My next guest is Karen Schwindlein, Executive Director of Education and Development at Chosen. Chosen is a nonprofit fostering and adoption support ministry. So welcome to the show today, Karen. Thank you, and thank you for all the great work that you do for nonprofits in the area. We greatly appreciate the exposure. Well, you are very welcome. We're looking forward to hearing more about Chosen. Um, So as I said, lots of things have changed over the years in the whole adoption fostering process. So can you share with us your personal story? Um, You know, how is it different today than when it was when, when you adopted? Sure. Well, growing up, my mom and dad took in foster children, so I learned at a really 
young age that families can look different. And so that was a very important lesson for me to know. Going into getting married uh, several years later, um, my husband and I had plans of having a huge family, but God had different plans for us. And uh, so we had infertility. Um, we went through a lot of treatment tests, all that kind of good stuff, and um, it was the low point of my life. Um, we did get pregnant, but that baby did not survive, and mm -hmm. I was at a very low in my life at that point. Um, but we knew that adoption was a possibility, and so we sent out letters to family and friends asking them um, to keep us in mind if they had an adoptive situation, and that's exactly what happened. We were connected to a family member whose best friend was expecting a baby, and she had already made the decision that she needed to place the baby for adoption. And so we met her a couple of days later, and in what I call uh, the world's shortest pregnancy, <laughs> 16 days later, wow. we had the joy of being in the delivery room with her mm. and watching her born. Mm. And it was an amazing thing. And the next day, she handed her to us and asked us to have a great life with her. We promised her pictures and letters for the first 18 years of her life, and we went on our way. It was just amazing. Um, two and a half years later, we had a very similar situation, and we were connected to our son's birth parents, and again in the delivery room with him, uh, brought him home from the hospital a few days later. We made the same promise for pictures and letters. So it was amazing. Um, we were just uh, elated at that time. We moved to Milwaukee. In the process of moving to Milwaukee, we found our faith in Christ. And so I began ministry right away. I knew that I wanted to help other people through these really difficult times of going through infertility and navigating through adoption. My husband and I had actually started to come up with a business plan for a Christian adoption agency, but God stopped us, and so we sort of put that on hold. Um, so our kids grew up knowing that they were chosen once by us and once by God. And so that mm. name chosen derived from years ago of that um, family mantra. I love that idea. Yeah. Chosen by you and chosen by God. Yep. Nice. Chosen twice. And mm. so as my daughter especially grew up, she really resonated with that idea of being chosen. And she told us at a very young age that she was going to adopt a lot of kids. So we held on to that little piece of information. Little did we know <laughs> what that meant. But um, after our daughter got married um, in 2012, uh, we got a phone call from her birth family that um, her birth mom was dying of cancer and wanted to meet her. So as a family, we prayed about it and made the decision to go up to see her. My husband and I got to thank her for this gift that mm -hmm. she had given to us. Mm -hmm. My daughter shared the gospel with her. And in the process of that meeting, the book of pictures and letters came out that we had sent to her, and they were tear-stained and tattered and torn. And there was such a story that was there. They were just so rich, and they were her lifeline. We found out that she had made the right decision. Mm. So after she passed away, we worked in conjunction with her family, um, asked if we could use those letters as the basis of a book, and we wrote a book about our family's adoption journey called Dear Lois, Our, Adopt our Adoption Journey. And that was sort of the launch to Chosen because Molly, my daughter, and her husband decided that they wanted to start a nonprofit to help foster families. They basically revamped it. Foster to adopt is very common now. It's becoming a lot more common than a, um, a birth mother voluntarily relinquishing her rights to a child. 
And so they made what we had come up with years ago into something more relevant. Um, And so Chosen began at that point in time. And our daughter and son-in-law became foster parents. And in the not-too-distant past, adopted four of their foster children. Wow. So it's a very personal story for us. Yeah. Well, tell us more about Chosen, the ministry. Chosen, as you said, it's a nonprofit um, foster care and adoption support ministry. Uh, We became a ministry in 2015, became a nonprofit in 2015, opened our doors in May of 17. Um, We have three focuses, support, uh, which is through our family closet, and we do a lot of resource connections with other nonprofits um, and other organizations such as Norris. Um, we, we focus on the community aspect. Uh, we do outreaches. In the future, we want to have a multifamily fostering community. And then we focus on education going out into the community and educating the public about fostering and adoption and trying to recruit new foster and adoptive families as well. Wow. Well, so, so how does a family then get referred to Chosen? We work with a lot of foster care and adoption agencies, and so those that's a big source of referral for us. Um, there are a lot of um, word-of-mouth connections that are made in the fostering community. Sure. And then there are a lot of foster networks as well that we are known in, and so we get referred in through that way as well. And collaboration is a big piece, like Absolutely. we talked about, your, your collaboration with uh, Norris, who we talked with in the first uh, two segments. Um, well, tell us more about this family closet. I want to know more about that. Absolutely. What, how is it different from other community share closets? And the family closet is a, is our largest initiative. Um, we provide tangible support for foster families. So they can come in and they can get used clothing and shoes and everything else that we have is new. Um, and so anything that they need during the period of time that they have kids in care, we're that resource. And it's free of charge to them as long as they have kids in, in care. Um, it's different in that when when it was created, my daughter specifically wanted it to be like walking into your bedroom closet. She wanted it to be very homey, very personal, and I think that we've achieved that. Um, and so it's not sterile and clinical. It's very, very inviting. Um, the closet's a vehicle. It's the vehicle where we develop a relationship and we become the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's really what our mission is in, in trying to reach out to these families And then we provide ongoing services, outreaches, prayer support. Um, As long as these families have kids in care, we want to be that community that surrounds them. So it's beyond a closet, but the closet is sort of the beginning part of that relationship. Yeah, we we talk about how important the relationship piece is. You know, I opened the show with that Helen Keller quote that said, the best and most beautiful things in this world cannot be seen or heard. They must be felt with the heart. And that really speaks to relationships, and I think it's it's uh, wonderful that you're able to build those relationships around a need. Absolutely. So that's wonderful. Well, it sounds like the Family Closet is a great addition to the, the services that you provide, and you actually have quite the statistics on how Chosen has made an impact, but um, we're going to take a quick break first, and when we come back, Karen is going to tell us about some of the ways that Chosen has made an impact in the community. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. 
Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm chatting with Karen Schlindwein, Executive Director of Education and Development at Chosen. So, Karen, let's talk community impact. You know, what you've got some interesting statistics here. Why don't you share that with the listeners? Yeah, through... Um through the ministry, we have so far given away about 21,000 items to 300 uh, area families from 10 southeastern Wisconsin counties, um, which it envelops over 600 children that are in care. And it's a it's just a tip of the iceberg of when you consider how many kids are in foster care, so we have a lot more work to do. Um, it's been really great, though, to see some of the, the impact, though, uh, one of our first years that we were uh, around, we had a, um, a gentleman that called us about three days before Christmas, and he had just gotten care of a couple of teens, and he had no money. He was doing this in transition of becoming a foster family. He had no money to get them any Christmas presents, and he said, is there anything that we can do? So my daughter and I just so passionately just opened up that closet and just went to town and just mm. we just did whatever we could think of um, for this man who just wanted to give these kids a normal Christmas and couldn't. And the tears on his face when uh, when he met my daughter, she said it was just absolutely unbelievable. And we've had other stories where we've given equipment, such as um, one family asked for a height chair. Um, they had a couple of special needs kids, and um, they had one height chair. The other child was a little bit older than he would normally need a height chair for, but she asked if they could get one anyhow, and um, she sent us an email and said, it's the first time that my family's been able to sit down together with the kids as Aww. a family. And she said it was just, it's just going to start this really wonderful experience for us. So yeah. something as simple as that. I mean, absolutely. sometimes you don't think of those things. Didn't you guys provide backpacks too? We did. We uh, Every year we have a backpack giveaway where we, do, we usually give away between 50 to 75 backpacks loaded. Uh, for kids in the area, so and I think it's it's uh, important to say that you this is not just a countywide thing. This correct. you know you reach out. You said to ten southeastern Wisconsin counties. That's correct. So if you're out there and you need some help and you're not in Waukesha, Milwaukee County, you know you can still reach out to Karen and and Chosen and and still have some needs met. Now those statistics you talked about were just about the family closet, right? Correct. I mean, you've got other outreach programs. We do. Talk, we do. Talk to us about that, um, about what well, those different ones. Yeah, absolutely. We do. We have one program within the family closet, new one, called Equip, Encourage, and Engage. And it's one that we are going to be able to start to fund um, equipment, which we do periodically now, such as car seats, the height chairs, like I talked about, and uh, other special needs adaptive equipment that kids with special needs have that don't always get covered by insurance or don't always get covered by another program. Um, so we want to be able to help families out with those types of needs as well because they don't get funding that covers all that, that type of thing. But our outreaches, we have lots of fun things that go on throughout the year. We have a winter wiggles outreach. We sometimes have an art outreach. We do uh, Toy Palooza at Christmas time, where kids get a newly wrapped toy and can shop for all their winter gear at the same time. Um, we do our field day uh, backpack, although this year we're going to have a vacation Bible school. And oh, we're very, very nice. excited about that. Very nice. Well, I think it's important to identify needs, right? I mean, for somebody to just come in and say, okay, here you go, we have this, this, and this, and it's not really what someone needs. Absolutely. You know, it's important to identify what it is they need. 
um, with the people that you serve, and then find different ways to meet those needs. You know, I think that again, it's so crucial that first step of of understanding. You know, St. Francis said, seek first to understand and then be understood, right? Um, what is it about fostering and adoption that you think people don't always understand? I think that foster families have some unique needs that are often misunderstood. Um, for instance, a lot of kids that come into the foster care system have special needs. And that is something that a lot of um, families aren't necessarily accustomed to being um, familiar with. And so they, they have to learn a lot. They have to react to those things. And then sometimes there are behavioral things. And it's not because the child is bad. It's because the child has gone through so much trauma. Mm-hmm. Even in just that 24-hour period from the time that they leave everything that they know and everyone that they know and their possessions, their home, and even if it wasn't a safe place, going to a stranger's house, just that 24 hours is so traumatic. And it doesn't even, t- it doesn't even consider what happened to get them to that point of being removed from their home. So that trauma just comes out in so many different ways um, over the time period that, that families have children. And it's unexpected sometimes. And so those families need a lot of support to get them through some of those things. Yeah. The other thing I think it's uh, that's sort of a, a misnomer amongst the foster world is that um, families do not make money fostering. Um, I think there's a there's a, a misnomer out there that families get a lot of money to foster and they can make a living out of it. They can't. It, they get it's a, not a, a about dent. that piece. That's not about yeah. that at all. They get a dent in, in what the actual expenses are. And so organizations like Chosen can surround them and help them to fill in some of those gaps. Yeah. Again, we talked at the beginning of the show about um, nurturing the stability of the family and how important that is. And, and it's important for those people that are considering fostering and adapting to know that there are so many different organizations and people out there to come alongside them, walk alongside them, hold their hand, um, listen to them when they're being challenged, and um, to just know that there are solutions out there, which is wonderful. Um, What are some ways that individuals can engage with Chosen? There are lots of things that, that they can do. Prayer, we always want prayer, not only for Um, our ministry, but also sometimes there are specific needs that our families ask us to pray about, too. So we always have reasons to pray. Yeah, who doesn't Um, need prayer, right? Exactly. (laughs) And it doesn't cost anything. Anybody can do it, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, We always need volunteers. Obviously, all nonprofits do. We always need sorters, people helping us with our outreach events, um, our newsletter, silent auction items for our annual gala. Uh, people can engage by coming to our May walk uh, during National Foster Care Month and our um, celebratory gala in uh, November every year, which is during National Adoption Month. Financially, obviously another big area that we can always use support in. And then we also have other programs such as our Boxes of Blessings program that are always something that people can help with. Okay. Well, a lot of things that we talked about today, but what message would you want anyone considering fostering to hear? It's hard work, but the kids are worth it. Um, The fostering community is a supportive community. There are a lot of organizations just like Chosen that are out there to surround you and to help in in whatever way that you need help. Um, Children are going to greatly impact your life more than you can possibly imagine. Um, I think many go into fostering thinking that they're going to impact the lives of the children. Many later will say, 
those children have impacted me greater than I ever impacted them. I'm sure, yeah. We always talk about, uh, you know, the person that is giving the gift is thinking that exact thing. You know, that they're giving a blessing, but they're also receiving such a great blessing. Absolutely. Very, very nicely done, uh, nicely said. Um, contact information. We we are wrapping up our interview here. We don't have a lot of time left, but if there's somebody out there that wants to reach out to Chosen, can you share contact information? Absolutely. Um, first of all, our website is chosenandlove.org. Um, our email is info at chosenandlove.org, and we also have a Facebook page at Our Chosen Family. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here today, Karen. Thank you for sharing all the ways that you're having an impact uh, in in the area of fostering and adoption. Thank you so much. We appreciate being here. You are absolutely welcome. And we also want to thank Teresa Cocker, who is the Chief Program Officer at the Norris Center, uh, who is here also to share her passion and her love for children in the foster care system. If you'd like further information about the people or the organizations we talked to today, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. You can tune into our show a number of different ways. You can turn on your radio and listen on the AM dial. You can fire up your laptop or your tablet and go to newstalkradio.com or you can tune in via the iHeartRadio app and listen on your phone. You can also visit our website at ellenbecker.com and listen to previously aired shows, or you can now listen also on demand by going to Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. So join us again next Sunday to hear from people who are passionate about making a difference in our community, and maybe you'll get an idea or two about how you can make a difference too. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a great Sunday.